Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia! been an absolute stinker of a season for Southampton. Um, you kind of want to get to this point of the season and be like, yeah, it's our end of season podcast. What a celebration. Let's go off and enjoy the World Cup, which I think I'm sure we're all going to be doing, but we need to pick over the bones first. So to help me pick over the bones of Southampton's 2017-18 season, to my left, I have Mr. Tom Parker. Tom, how are you? I'm, I'm better. Yeah. Better now. Better now. More and, optimistic. And I also have my brother James helping us out this evening. James, welcome back to the show again. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Yeah. Um, and I will confirm that all three of us are more sober than the last time you heard us behind a microphone, um, which was Tuesday last week, just after we drank a bottle of champagne celebrating Southampton beating Swansea. This time a week ago that night. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was wonderful. Um, obviously, uh, if you want to email into the show, you want to tell us about your experience of last Tuesday night, you want to get in contact with us on Twitter, you can do so, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com or at saintsfcpodcast if you want to get us on Twitter. Um, I will also point out, if you've not already listened to the SFC Superpod, as it has been dubbed, um, but uh, we have collaborated um, with Matt from Southampton Delivery Podcast and Ben from the Total Saints Podcast uh, to do a podcast uh, with three of us on and uh, we recorded that um, this week so if you haven't listened to that one do go back and have a listen right uh, let's let's I mean it's obviously a special podcast because it's the end of the season so we've got a lot to get through on the agenda so um, but first of all we haven't had an episode where we've coherently um, talked about uh, the Everton and Swansea games and we haven't talked about the, the game against Man City at all so I mean let's let's just cover the last few games of the season I also suggested maybe bringing in the Bournemouth and um, Leicester City games into that because I think those last five games of the season what was it five games to go five points behind Swansea five points away from safety that was where we were standing after the defeat to Chelsea um, now we're kind of sat here knowing that Southampton are going to be a Premier League club next season we, what what went right in those last five games of the season uh, it's passion I, I think we all knew the players had talent uh, There's no doubting the quality of a lot of the players uh, we had. There maybe was a doubt and did we have enough goals in us? But all we've really seen, it's the same players that have gone out. It, it's just a question of passion and application. So, I mean, a lot of credit to Mark Hughes. So I think I think we're going to get on to Mark Hughes as one of our season topics, which are only eight Premier League games. Um, James, what was it for you? What was it? What, you know, what was it? I, I completely agree with Tom. It's passion. It's getting those, play those players in those... In 2018, playing under Pellegrino, all of them had heads dropped. Lots of them you could see weren't weren't interested in being on the pitch, didn't like being on the pitch, weren't confident in themselves. And then Hughes comes in, gets them all riled up. And I think that's that's all they really need. They were good enough players to stay in the Premier League. They just needed 
needed to know that you know they weren't going to get away with it going back into the changing room after putting in a poor performance so i mean i i wonder was was hughes ruling by fear did he just manage to get the players fired up and believe in themselves was there a technical approach that was different um i think tadic said quite early on it was maybe after the loss to arsenal that um, that the Saints players were already starting to feel the effects of his training sessions, so, as in they were feeling a bit sharper. He was working them a bit harder, um, and, and that's another interesting thing. I, I think Matt Target, who we might come on to mention later on, this he mentioned this when he went to Fulham that he felt kind of sharper after the Fulham training sessions. I mean, was Pellegrino just totally lacklustre in the way that he was training the team? And and did that also help the players kind of step up when Hughes came in and, and give us that boost in the last five games? It's weird because I, I read about Claude Puel earlier. And one of the reasons why they think he might be in trouble because he's lost the players at Leicester is because he's too physical in training. Um, I think there's probably an element of, of allowing people to be more aggressive. I don't know the stats, but it seemed to me that Saints seem to have a lot more players booked under Hughes. Um, they were a lot more aggressive. I think tactically they did a few things which made a huge difference. They no longer stood off when they took the lead. We, we took the lead in a lot of games this season, um, but we often stood back and we conceded. I think Hughes taught them to, to keep pushing forward. And, and I think that, that made a, a big difference. And he also seemed to sort of get certain players that obviously I think need a bit of love and a bit of TLC and, you know, players like Tadic and, and, and Redmond that maybe need to feel a bit made a bit silly as it sounds for a group of uber talented millionaires. Maybe they do need to feel a bit loved. And yeah. I, I think there's that. And the final thing I'd say is I, I do increasingly think now when you look at how wealthy and how privileged and how cosseted uh, modern footballers are, I, I wonder if now unless you are a superstar coach, so you don't have to have been a great player, but you can be like a Mourinho or a Wenger, but maybe they need someone like Mark Hughes. And Mark Hughes comes in and they go, God, he played for Man United. He played for Barcelona. He was a winner. Yeah. And I wonder, how, I wonder the impact that has on a group of players. I, I, I think that's a good point. I think it was kind of part of the allure of Ronald Koeman as well. It's just what a good player he was. And, um, you know, and the success that he had, but Mark Hughes was part of a Manchester United uh, team that that did you know really brilliant things under Ferguson in the nineties, and um, I, I guess he probably has that that effect on some players as well. And it was quite a short period of time, and, and there did seem to be quite a dramatic turnaround. Which it's funny because if you look back to his first Premier League game with Saints, it was that awful loss at the London Stadium against West Ham United. We lost three nil, um, and then we actually went on to lose the next two games: the game against Arsenal, the game against Chelsea. But I think in the game against Arsenal, the game against Chelsea, I saw enough to think that we might actually get out of the mess. Like I suddenly thought, I suddenly realised it was possible. If you know what I mean. I think we were playing in those two teams. I mean, Chelsea are, are not the team they were. Um, and arguably, you know, their win against us was actually more of an anomaly on their on their actual form towards the end of the season. But we realised we were playing really good teams. And also, you know, you know in Giroud, we're playing our, our bogeyman. Um, the question for Saints all season is, it is not, you know... They've not turned over any of the teams you'd expect them to, to turn over. If you look at like there's a whole raft of mid to lower league teams. I mean, we've barely won any games to be fair, but we, you know, we've not really turned anyone over of any note. Um, so I think we, we saw the quality in those two games. We saw application and 
as we said before, they're they're good enough players. They just needed to have a bit of self belief. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a very good point to say that we didn't actually beat a single team this season that was in good form. Like, if you look at the probably the, the biggest win was against Everton. Everton. Yeah. And they were there was that um it was the last was, game under yeah. the caretaker um I can't remember his name. But I you're absolutely right. If you look at the was look it at David Unz? David Unz. David Unz. Unz. If you look at the games we won, every there's there's not what we didn't go and beat a Spurs or we didn't go and you know, we didn't beat anyone of note. Um we just about, apart from the Everton game, ground out results. And I did we win a game by two goals apart I, from Everton? Uh well the answer to that is in the league, no. No, I mean that's a shocking stat and it kind of reinforces just how lucky we were. A, how poor the Premier League's been this season and B, how lucky we were. I mean, we were supposed to be talking about the Mark Hughes positive uh, bit for, for the last few games. I mean, it's, if, if we scroll through Saints fixtures um, and, and we've got a, a kind of a table here which shows like yellows and greens for uh, draws and wins and then red as, um, you know, the losses. And that worst run of form arguably was, you know, the four games, including Pellegrino's last game and Mark Hughes' first three games. And 12 goals conceded in that time. Yeah, I mean, uh, astonishing. But then we followed those four games without losing one and two wins and two draws, which is ultimately, it was eight points, which we got, you know, needing five points to to make us, you know, to catch up with Swansea. And then we got another three, which lifted us above them. And um, it's, it's funny because, I mean, quite a few times we looked at the fixture, the remaining fixtures, and I don't think any of us expected Swansea to be on that few points by the end of the season, but their capitulation at the end of the season was also pretty key because we didn't finish above Huddersfield, who had a terrible fixture list, and we didn't finish above Brighton. And if Swansea had just managed to get their act together for even two or one and a half of the, the their last games, we could we could have had all of that resurgence and still not achieve survival. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think this is a story of a Southampton great escape. I think this is a story of a Swansea uh, complete capitulation. I think capitulation yeah. is the right word to use. It, it, we did what we had to do, but we were greatly assisted by a desperately poor uh, Swansea team. Um, so, I mean, we, we have been quite unlucky, I think, in some of those games as well. So where we have dropped points against Arsenal and Chelsea, um, against Man City, arguably, against Everton, certainly. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got over the line. We had the game against Swansea. Um, we got the goal. And funny enough, I remember when we were recording at half time, I felt like things were going pretty badly. I didn't really see us having a grip on the game. By the end of the match, I just was sheer elation and relief. But actually watching back on back the highlights, Saints were the better side against Swansea. And although it was a scrappy goal befitting of a terrible relegation fight, I think Saints, uh, on reflection, probably the right team to stay up out of Saints and Swansea. It's a 38-game season and the right team always wins it and the right teams always stay up. But there's, you know, there's no luck involved over 38 games. But... One of the great things we saw when we've spoken about Mark Hughes' positivity was, you know, Bednarek goes off, um, Swansea are desperate to win it, and we bring on another centre-forward. And I would be amazed if that had happened under Pellegrino. Yeah, I agree. Like, there was a lot more, a lot more attacking, just like really, you know, throwing everything at it because that's what we needed to do in that second half. And 
And, you know, Swansea brought on an extra striker and instead of responding by bringing on a defender, we threw on another striker. So we were like, okay, they're going to open up now at the back. We can, we'll have more space. And, and we did, and we, you know, we got the goal and we did put a lot more pressure on them than they did. They had a few good shots, but, but like when we scored that goal, we had already had 15, 20 minutes of, of solid possession in there, in and around their box. And we definitely, um, should have scored and we did and I think that just to say I think the, the Gavidini uh, bringing on is a masterstroke not only because obviously it's brave but we were getting chances in around the box Charlie Austin had what three or four yeah. uh, good chances uh, you know which invariably went straight at the keeper on the fourth one it goes straight at the keeper but the ball bounces back and who's there Gavidini Gavidini the man who is like Gianni on the spot probably you know one of the best strikers we've had like that for years I, but Gabbiadini is actually great in the six-yard box, isn't he? I mean, we were told about this kind of like quick player who can play on the wing, can also play as a centre-forward, loves a ball in front of him, can run onto that. But actually, if there's a goal-mouth scramble, Gabbiadini is the man that you want in there. He's he's brilliant in that situation. His reactions just must be that half a second quicker than, than everyone else there. It's anticipation, isn't it? You can be a... Um, I can't remember, we had this debate before and people said we wanted a a great goal uh, a, you know you want a, a score of great goals no you don't you want a great goal score yeah. you want like you can have all the you know 30 yard volleys but you'd probably much rather have like a Tony Croser you know World Cup goal scorer when you look at every single goal he's got 18 goals in World Cups and 17 of them were inside the six yard box or something ridiculous so you, you know that's they what all, you they need all count. They, all they all count they're all the same you know yeah. and that's what matters um, so I mean when when we were a little bit inebriated in the pub in the Lord Clyde. We kind of focused on Mark Hughes kind of offering out Buffal as one of the turning points of the season. Um, but I think Mark Hughes's strength actually has been the way he's reacted to certain situations. And it's almost that kind of, if you put Mark Hughes on the spot, he's kind of got that leadership quality that means he makes the right decision. So if you back him into a corner, he makes the right decision to get out of the corner. And so there's the Buffal refusing to warm up and then, you know, offering Mark Hughes a fight in the change room. Mark Hughes, you know, saying, yeah, bring it on. Um, there is how he reacted to the hotel booking being cancelled. Absolutely. So, yeah. so he, he made that an us against them thing. The same with the police escort. The same with, with the bus arriving at the stadium. Now, if you listen to it, Saints apparently were half an hour early because they're so worried about the traffic. So they, they just hadn't shown up at their right allotted time. But Mark Hughes manages to turn that into something that is like just an administrative nuisance and someone being a little bit of a job's worth into a us against them battle, backs against the wall survival. And then also when Bednarek gets knocked out, he brings on a striker. You know, that wasn't a decision that he made because he was planning to make that decision at that moment in time. That was an opportunity which came up. He was backed into a corner and he made the right call at the time. And you look at all of those kind of, and also, I mean, people have a go at Mark Hughes for blaming the referee, but the game against Everton, that was the perfect thing. You didn't want to blame that on the players and say, well, actually, you know, Bertrand should have hoofed it out or, you know, we should have done this. We should have done that. We should have been concentrating. Um, I, which, I, I, which, which you could blame, you could legitimately blame that goal on. Instead, I, he makes it an us against them thing, and I think the whole that kind of whole little sequence got us the result that we needed in the end. I think as well the I think I almost wonder if the Everton goal did us a favour. 
because it sharpened the mind. It, it, you know, if they'd have gone away at Everton, they'd have won two games in a row, which they'd not done all mm. season. And there's a, I don't know if there maybe would have been a temptation to take the foot off the gas, but I almost think it made the Swansea game an FA Cup final. It made it winner takes all. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the unintended consequence of the poor clearance from Bertrand, of the bad referee decision, is that we stood up, we stayed up. Yeah. You don't know. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I've been very impressed with Mark Hughes. I mean, if you'd have asked me kind of halfway through the season, who do you want to replace Pellegrino with? Mark Hughes wouldn't have been on my shortlist. If you asked me at the start of the season, you know, take any player, any manager that you think would be within Southampton's kind of like ability to attract, Mark Hughes wouldn't have been on my shortlist. But if you ask me today, who I think should get the Southampton manager's job for next season, well... I'd say it probably should be Mark Hughes. I think he's shown us enough in eight Premier League games, particularly the last, uh, you know, three games. Yeah, yeah. 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 He he has. He's got a squad which was misfiring, not working together, not enjoying playing football, looking you know half decent. We're we're not there yet. We're not back to being a top top half of the table side, but. I think he's got enough in him to build that momentum, keep the players together. The way Tadic has been playing since he's come in, the way Redmond has yeah, you know, looks improved, um, the fact that Gabbiadini has been on the pitch and scored a goal. It's it's all enough, isn't it? It's, it's, is it enough to get him the job? I, I'd hope so. I think he deserves it. Um, I think we've tried with the sort of trendy... Um, foreign coaches that you know have the great coaching badges and the great reputations as, as you know I don't think that that is maybe what we need I think we need a group of we need someone who can knock heads together who can weed out I think bad eggs and I think we have had some bad eggs in the yeah. squad this season um, and I, I think that he needs a group and I think one of the things today I think and we'll just come to the Kruger interview but it is about they've recognised now that they need a squad. They need togetherness. I think there are some players in there that aren't buying into that and I think the sooner they're out, the better. But I completely agree. Now, I'm just going to be controversial and say that he's he's been, he's been exactly what we needed to stay up. He gave the players fight. He made yeah. them play well enough to stay up. But... I don't think he. I don't think he's good. Next season, he's going to give us what we want, which is a reliable team that will will go out and out. We can expect to win. I don't. I didn't think I saw that in any of the games that we've played um, under him. And like, and we did have fight, but defensively, we were still pretty awful. All of the players still looked scared. They didn't look. They rarely looked confident. And um, and some things happened in the games where you were just like, "Why isn't the manager responding to this faster?" Like at the Chelsea game where we lost three two. I was there, and you could see when when they scored the first goal, he goes to his, you know gets his assistant manager out. Is like, "What are we gonna do? We're gonna we need to do something now." And and then they score again, and he's like, okay, we really need to do something now. And they're still discussing it 10 minutes later when they score the third one. And I'm just like, come on. It's like, what? you need to respond faster to, to something like this happening. And 
And I don't think we did. I, and I'm not sure we actually had a plan for going 2-0 up against Chelsea. No, I mean, that's, that's, that, that, that is perhaps unsurprising given uh, Southampton's uh, form. But yeah, I, I mean, they, those are all fair points. And also, I mean, this is the thing. Um, we were very, very quick on Twitter and other... I mean, I'm saying the collective we as Southampton fans. We are very quick to warn Leicester City fans about Claude Puel. You know, when he first joined there, everyone was, they were like, you know, they had a good run and, um, you know, they scored a few goals and things were looking pretty rosy for Corpwell. And all the Southampton fans were kind of going, yeah, be careful. You know, the guy is probably not what you're hoping for. And it's got to the end of the season. I think what Leicester finished eighth or ninth in the table. Um, and it looks like Puel's quite likely to lose his job again. And it's because of the kind of turgid style of football. Do you know they are the top goal scorers outside the top six? I mean that, that that doesn't surprise me. I mean so they it's did not manage to that get turgid, is I mean it? they did manage to get four goals in their, in in their, their final, final game, game yeah. yeah, at Wembley, which was, was pretty four impressive. against us at St Mary's. Yeah. Yeah, let's not talk about that fixture too much. Um Yeah, I'm, and so, and so like basically my point is is Hughes it, Hughes was good for eight games. Like good in the situation that we were in, but I don't want to be in that situation again and I think we can attract a good manager that can come in and and spend some of this money that we blatantly do have now because we've still got 50 million sitting on our bank balance from the Virgil, Virgil van Dijk transfer and and bring in some good players and do something like Ronald Koeman did where he brought in came came in from a a different league brought in two or three of the best players from that league and turned us into a really good side mm. that would would you know beat the top clubs and you, you go to every game expecting to win, not go to every game dreading it. And and also the other thing that um that really sets warning signs is that I think in when he was manager of Stoke around about Christmas and you looked at him do his post match interviews and that was that was a man who was a broken he was a broken manager. He didn't want to be there. And and I don't want him to do that you know I don't want him to be in that position next season for us where we do look for like, I'd ra- much rather he be that good striker that we had for a few years and that manager that did did what he needed to do what, and then moved on and moved on and rather than spoil what's what I think was a good period but I don't think he's going to make us a top top 10 team next season I mean he, he did have Stoke finish ninth three seasons consecutively I mean obviously this season didn't go well for him um, but if you look at I think there's bigger things than Mark Hughes happening at Stoke and that's quite clear from the interviews uh, with Jack Butland and Charlie Adams in terms of the players they signed so yeah I, I agree I don't think he is a Thomas Tuchel like yeah, I am yeah really but he's just like hasn't he just signed for PSG? PSG so, yeah. but like, I don't. Think we're not going to get master, that. <laughs> but I think, like, realistically, like, who are we going to get? And we might get a, a foreign coach, which seems more exciting. But I think one of the things we're seeing is that the, the Premier League there's there's actually probably a lot of value in someone who just understands the Premier League. And you, Mark Hughes has got what third, fourth most management. I mean, in I, the Premier League. I, I do wonder if this is another. Um, if, like if you're looking at the horizon of what what is Southampton Football Club what's the Southampton way what is the ambition of this club now because when we had Cortese here it was we're going to become a Champions League club and he was doing everything in his power to kind of get us towards that way which 
I mean, obviously, um, the Lieber family didn't like in the end because it, financially it was causing issues for the club. But it was working on the football pitch. And, you know, a lot of us really enjoyed the football we had with when Cortese was in charge and Rian Pochettino was an absolute masterstroke. Things did very, you know, were really great under Koeman. But can we realistically expect to be in that kind of like eighth and seventh you know that I mean it's essentially it's like it's like winning the second division you know if, if we say the top six is the first division in English football and then you know basically seventh is the top of the next well, group of clubs if you look when we finish sixth for us to finish sixth one of the top six teams has to have a terrible season yeah and someone and two of them did two of them did and someone who normally is nowhere near that has to have an unexpectedly brilliant season yeah. obviously that was Leicester so I think that was the season we finished sixth yeah I think. that's right so I, I think it's very tricky one thing I would say is I, I don't necessarily think it's all about money I mm. think all the clubs have a lot of money now look at Everton Everton yeah, Everton are the club where you could say they're going to be the seventh place club um, they've got a ton of money they spent most of it very poorly mm. um and unless they can drastically overhaul their recruitment policy, they will continue to spend money really badly. I mean, I think Southampton are kind of in the top 20 richest clubs in Europe, which is just you know, pretty much by the fact that they're in the Premier League. But there's, yes, yeah, so, I mean, okay, financially, we're never going to compete with the top six and the financial fair play rules ensure that the rich will stay rich and the poor will stay poor. You know, that's what they're set up to do, you know, to protect the big six and big clubs across Europe. Um, but, you know, what what do we expect from Southampton? Because essentially, if if you said Mark Hughes could guarantee you ninth for three seasons in a row, then you'll have to give him a change. I think a lot of Saints fans might take that now. But there'd be quite a lot of Saints fans that would say, no, you know, actually, I want to have the risk. I want to try a little bit harder, see if we can do something a bit more interesting. I think Saints do we fans... Want, do yeah. we want mid-table obscurity? I don't think ninth is mid-table obscurity. I think that we have ninth's to... Ninth's pretty impressive. I ninth's think. very impressive. And with a 32,000-seater capacity stadium, ninth is, is, is good. Not in London as well, which makes it instantaneously harder to attract the very, very best players. Um, I think what Saints... I mean, I you know, I can't talk for all Saints fans, but me personally, I think we want to see an exciting, passionate style of play with young players coming through. And I think if you give Saints fans that and the odd, you know, the wins against Arsenal, the wins against Chelsea, the wins against Spurs, Man United that we were getting previously, I think you'll have a, a happy group of fans. Right. So, James, you're in charge of Southampton. You've sacked Mark Hughes. Who are you bringing in? You're a tyrant, James. I don't know who I'll bring in. I don't, I don't have one on the list. I and I think that's kind of the crux of the problem. I mean, if I if I was to bring in a, a um, sexy foreign mar manager, it would be Mark, Marcelo Bielsa, which I, I, who I've talked about before, you know. Big influence on Pochettino. Um, a plays a pressing style of football. I just find pressing style of football good fun to watch. So, I mean, that's, that's who I would choose if we're going to go for a sexy foreign name. But I think Hughes deserves a shot. He, he at least deserves a season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where Bielsa is now, but last I think he was at Seville. I, th I think he was getting sacked from Lille last time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, it's, it does, it's not all roses with Bielsa. No, yeah, you, uh, and we know the pressing side of football is brilliant until about eighty-three minutes, in which case, and then it gets quite tiring. Um, not, yeah. not that we've been great after about eighty-three minutes this season either. No, it's true. But, but we're going to get onto that, right? So let's move on. So Mark Hughes, he's done his job. Uh, he gets his million pound bonus. Certainly very welcome to it in, in my eyes. Uh, let's talk about our other manager this season, Maurizio Pellegrino. What was wrong with him? 
You can take this one first, I think. Okay. Um, I don't think he showed passion. I don't think he knew what he was doing. When I think he knew how, how he was going to set up his team and play the game that he wanted to play. But when things didn't go his way, and or like when we went 65 minutes without scoring a goal, he didn't try to change things. No. And, and that's... That was, I think, that was the biggest problem. And I don't know. He did. He didn't look. He didn't look like he was. He didn't look passionate. He didn't, and he definitely lost quite a lot of the players in the dressing room. Not all of them. There were certainly a few players that we will mention later um, that were that were heroes this season. That did. Doesn't matter how much they disapproved of the management how crappy a time they were playing. They still turned up on the pitch. They still chased the ball. They still gave it their all. Um, but no, Pellegrino was was awful. And it's, it's the thing, why would you not react? I don't understand why you just go, oh, it's it's nil-nil. We're playing Burnley at home and it's 70 minutes in. Um, no, I'm just going to let it, and, and we haven't really created that many chances. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, just leave it as it is. It's like, or even like Swansea at the start of the season where we were all over them and you're like, well, let's just throw on some more strike. Come on, let's, let's just try and just even just shout at them. Go on, push it a bit more because they're on their back. All you have to yeah. do is finish them off. Tom, what about you? What was it? What was I think there was a few. I think passion is one thing. I think he was, I think maybe we underestimate um, how difficult the job is um, and how paralyzed by fear he was and i do i think paralyzed is is the right word i remember the the first game i went to the season was the burnley game at home uh that james was just referencing and you could see up against uh, sort of a very wily premier league manager in sean dyke he just was paralyzed and, and paralyzed is a strong word to use but if at the end of the day if you if, if you see a situation unfolding in front of you and you do nothing to prevent it mm. then there's no other word for it and i think we saw it so many times this season crystal palace at home 1-0 up they start to you know start to win the ball more in midfield he just didn't change things no um we saw it with players he was paralyzed fraser forster was clearly not right kept playing uh gabby dini wasn't working that system charlie austin's proven goal scorer couldn't get a sniff. Hoiberg, mm. Danish international, ex by Munich, can't get a sniff. Uh, you do, you do wonder. I, I think he was just. I, I just think he's like. There's no other nice way to put it. He's just massively out of his depth. I uh, I agree. I think he was totally out of his depth. I I think he lacked um, clarity as well, or, or the ability. I think there was a big issue in terms of the way that he was able to communicate with the players. Um, if you go back to that episode when I interviewed him, I didn't have very long with him. I was able to ask him kind of like two or three questions, um, including kind of, you know, what was going wrong? Where did he expect Southampton to be finishing in the season? And he just waffled his way through the answers. And you wonder, you know, they were quite simple questions. You, you know, you, you do wonder, like, what would happen if a player asked him a question? Um, would he get a clear answer out of Pellegrino? Would Pellegrino be able to give clear directions to the players and tell them how they were supposed to be playing? Was he able to even impose his style, whatever that might have been, on the players? I mean, I, ju I just don't know. I just wasn't convinced by anything. I mean, his in-game man management was clearly poor. I, I think he genuinely lacks 
that leadership quality that you need as a manager. And I wonder if he had that impression on the players because he had a good playing career, but he didn't have a great playing career. Although he was very successful, and I wonder if he. They, oh, it, just he, if they he was, he was a good enough. player in some quite excellent teams, yeah. wasn't he? In, in some excellent clubs, and um, he I mean, won things. But I don't know if he had that wow factor yeah. that, that went with it. I mean, what's quite interesting, I think it was like one of the Neville brothers mentioned that they never... Was it one of the Neville brothers? They mentioned they never thought Pellegrino... No, it can't. Have, it must have been Jamie Carragher thought he never thought Pellegrino would make it as a manager because he was so disorganised. He'd never seen it, met anyone who was that disorganised. Um, which is quite strange because he didn't come across as particularly disorganised when I met him. And he also came across as very popular within the club, which I think... You know, maybe explain some of the dithering over why it took so long for him to get sacked. And um, in terms of the sacking Pellegrino, I think we all would have chosen to have done it, you know, probably on Boxing Day, given Saints yeah. a Christmas present. Um, and also th- there was time, I think, didn't we? A time between games. Yeah. Kind of made sense. Um, but actually, y- y- you read the interview that Kruger's given and... Um, you know, he talks about having his responsibility and basically that they didn't kind of really realize how much trouble they were in, that the draws kind of made them feel like they were kind of on the cusp of something good. Whereas we were watching the draws and realizing that we weren't getting wins because we weren't good enough to get over the line. You know, the board was seeing something different. And Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I don't think, I also think Pellegrino thought that as well i think pellegrino saw all of the draws as oh we're we're we're, we're not just a bit yeah we're just a bit unlucky and and he didn't seem to he never really seemed that panicked at any point like or angry and at the performances in the league position and and actually that's what we needed we needed an angry mark hughes to come in and put the boot up the proverbial backside also you needed bad eggs gone and yeah. I, I think you know we'll speak about it a bit more later but there's there's clearly in the interview today with Kruger clearly he's alluding to Van Dyke in terms of the disruption that caused and actually it might be that's one person's fault and that's one person's only it's Kruger mm. uh, for allowing that situation to happen um I mean, Buffel, Pe- Pellegrino I think, you know, actually had to try and deal with that himself, didn't he? And yeah. that made him train with the under twenty three. Like, you imagine how big a personality someone like Van Dyke is. The, the belief and the and ego. And I don't mean ego in a bad way because I think to be a, a footballer of that level, you have to have a level of ego. You imagine like the the gravitas someone like Van Dyke carries in that squad. Probably the only truly world class player in that squad. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, yes, of course, Van Dyke should be more professional. Yes, of course, he shouldn't have sulked. But at the end of the day, the club have to face facts that they should have, for an extra £10 million in transfer fee, they risked their Premier League status. And that was a crazy thing to do. Um, I'm going to read you, I think we can move on from Pellegrino and get onto the board, which ultimately the main problem with Pellegrino was the fact that he was firstly selected as manager and then secondly left in that position in in their headlights for so long, which, you know, then we have to look at Les Reed and Ralph Kruger. Um, Here's a quote from the article in the Telegraph um, today, and we're recording on the 15th of May. Southampton's in-house newspaper, the Daily <laughs> yeah. Telegraph. 
Um, so it says, uh, this is from Krieger. We consolidated our squad last summer. We didn't sell anyone. We didn't want to sell for the first time. Retrospectively, we gave up our Southampton way of building a team. We stopped the pathway through to the big teams, did things out of character. For a club like Southampton, everything begins with a group of players who really want to be here. Let's go back to that. We should have also been quicker in our response to all the early season draws. I don't think we felt the desperation enough. That kind of like sums up those points that we've been picking up there as, as the, the problems with the Pellegrino time. Is is that enough for Southampton fans, Kruger? Is that is that as close as a chairman gets to an apology and saying we got things wrong? I think it's weird. I think um A, I think this interview means one thing. I think this means Mark Hughes is definitely gonna be the announcer's manager. Because mm. I think unless uh that was gonna happen, I don't think you'd put yourself up for that. And also if you look, there's very few questions actually about the manager, which obviously suggests that the telegraph could have been given the nod. But if we go back to that quote, there is one kind of very strange aspect. Um we didn't sell anyone we don't want to sell for the first time, that's great. Retrospectively, we stopped our Southampton way of building a team. We stopped the pathway through to the big teams. Did things out of character. Now he talks about that and it, like it's a ne- like that's a good thing. Yeah. Stopping the pathway through, and I don't know if it is a good thing. I think, of course, we don't want to have wholesale changes every single summer. But a player like Van Dyke, who will always be criticised by Saints fans, but let, if we're all honest, he's the best defender that most of us will ever see in our lifetime playing yeah, best defender we've ever had uh, you know he should have let him go through because I actually think that sends a signal because mm. it sends a signal a number of things it sends a signal to the outside world that that Southampton is a is not a stepping stone is used like a derisory term it's not it shouldn't be it, but it also sends a signal that we can not only sign these players in the first place but we can tie them down to long term contracts and we can make other teams pay top top dollar for them and so I don't think that's necessarily well, so, so, a negative. So I mean, the agent is looking at that, knowing that a club like Southampton is willing to sell with a five-year contract in place, which means that the agent and the player fees are going to be astronomical when it comes to the transfer yeah, fee. But a, a, an it, agent is looking at a, if, an, if an agent can get a decent player like Van Dyke into Southampton, get him to play for two seasons there, get fifty million plus for the following transfer. Yeah, you know, that's multi-million pounds, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't, I don't agree. Of course, like it would be in a perfect world, Saints would never sell anyone except the players they absolutely wanted to sell. But that's not how it works. Every single club on the planet, apart from probably Paris Saint Germain, Madrid, and Barcelona, are selling clubs. Mm. Uh, if those three clubs want your player, they will get them. So even you know, Liverpool had to suck that up this yeah season. even Liverpool had to suck it up and I think so I don't think the idea of us being a stepping stone is is this terrible thing if we're a stepping stone and we do it that suits us and actually I think in that quote he suggests that we probably are going to go back to the Southampton way so I expect we are probably going to move on a few players this season and going to bring in a few players this yeah. season um, and maybe maybe that's where Southampton's strength lies you know maybe it's the constant refreshing and rebooting and and maybe it's it's an acknowledgement of the damage the bad eggs can do mm. yeah it's it's not bad having a new player that the other teams don't know how to defend against i think this season if you looked at the 11 players that started started in in august last year they, it was basically the same 11 players that what you would have expected claude puel to play and therefore 
you know the the manager the manager knows you know they've already done their scouting job on all of these players they already know how they play they know what they what dangers they created and therefore by not bringing anyone new that's like an unknown it um it makes the job easier for the opposing team and and yeah i think we should always have three three new players maybe more to to be to bring on and people don't know how to play against them yeah it's it's an interesting point and now I put this question um, out to our followers on Twitter. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's Saints at Saints FC Podcast on Twitter. Um, and I put the question, if Les and Ralph came out and said they had learned from their mistakes this season and ensure they won't be making them again, would you be happy for them to stay based on the relative success of previous seasons? Or was this season unforgivable? Um, there's a real mix of responses here. A lot of people do think it was totally unforgivable. Um and, you know, a lot of them kind of alluded to the fact they didn't think that they'd actually learn from their mistakes. So if you picked up the Sam Wallace piece a few days ago in the Telegraph again, they were kind of championing the signing of Bednarek um, and the appointment of Hughes, like, oh, this is a season to be celebrated, which, okay, there are some small kind of glimmers of, of hope in this season that, that had gone well, but that didn't sound like they'd learned their lesson. This interview sounds quite a lot more humble just in the space of a few days. I mean, I wonder if someone from the Southampton press team seen this tweet. Cause it, I mean, it did get quite a lot of traction. You know, they maybe thought actually we need to be a little bit more humble and a little bit less bullshit in the way that we yeah. speak to our fans in the press. Um, so 1885, the heart of, you know, he alluded to the Sam Wallace piece. Shirley Mush, who um, sometimes... We're a big fan yeah, of, yeah. he writes, writes some Very e- excellent analysis. good um, pieces. Um, he just says, it's amazing that so many fans think a PE teacher from Wapping is this Machiavellian figure who signs all the checks. Reed is just the head teacher trying to keep a school afloat while the higher-ups mess about with a budget and whatnot. And then goes on to say that Kruger is your equivalent of Michael Gove. And um, He swears you, a bit more times. Yeah, though, I mean, he does. I mean, I gave you the clean version. Yeah. Um, Shirley Mush, uh, I know he's a Labour supporter, so when he's talking about Michael Gove, he's not talking about a positive thing there. Um uh, also, we've got Paul O'Connor. I think Les Reed is the culprit, um, you know. And you know, whereas Ralph, on the other hand, could give us links in the USA and maybe generate some more money and contacts off the field. Um, Lynn Baskerville chips in with "Be careful with what you wish for." So, I mean, this is, it really is a real mix here. Um, lots of people are saying that this season was unforgivable, and you know, the fact that we sailed so close to disaster. Um, was unforgivable and probably mainly because we could all see it happening as fans yeah, and that was that was frustrating but then you go back and you say the players like come on like fundamentally like do the players not shoulder any of this blame like yeah of course Les Reed and Kruger should have made some better decisions and yes they could have made a more inspired appointment does it is it Les Reed and Kruger against Huddersfield at home that can't defend a simple cross into the box and leave a six foot four forward three yards out for a free header? No, is it Kruger and Reed that are trying to Cruyff turn away at Bright at Bournemouth when we're one 0 up and we give the ball away and we can see one all? There, are, I mean, how many? So Wes- Wesley Hoot is to blame for this season. <laughs> no, but like, but a bit. What I mean is like, the, of course, you know, they they could have made better decisions, but. Yeah. Fundamentally, like we're not a we're not a bad team, right? We're not a bad team. We have made so many unenforced errors this season, and that's what's cost us. Like if we'd have made if we'd have 
got the ball out of the box when we should have got the ball out of the box and just been a bit stronger mentally, we'd, we'd have probably finished about 10th and this whole season would have been totally fine. James, what are your thoughts? Kruger, Reed, the players? Um, well, I don't think... I think we can give Reed and Kruger a fair amount of grief because I think they did sail us... You know, we they did fly too close to the sun. I think they um, were drinking their own Kool-Aid a bit too much. But I do think... Uh, well, what do you mean by that? Drinking their own... Do you mean just they, they believe their own hype? Yeah, they believe their own hype. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And... But I believe I believe they're hyped to some extent because they have um Les Reed especially, he has taken us from a lowly team that's been a mess and taken us up to the Premier League and kept us in the Premier League for four or five seasons now. And that's no mean feat. Does that say- and we and the last account of well, we've been in the Premier League five seasons now in this stint and the first season we struggled, but you know we were expected to struggle. And the other three seasons we played reasonable. We were a solid team. At worst, we were a solid team. At worst, we were hard to beat. And and that's that should be good enough because if you look at some of the other look at the other teams that went down this season. If you look at Swansea, West Brom, Stoke. They sound like they've got complete and utter idiots running their football clubs. You know, signing a player like Berahino, really? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, at least our bad signings, to be fair, you know, you could say Buffal's a bad signing. He actually doesn't appear to be like a negative influence until very recently. I think you're absolutely right. Look at some of the Stoke signings. Uh, have been awful. You know, players that are on, compa- right, not their fault, they're on compassionate leave, they've never been seen at the club again. Yeah. Players like Vimmer, uh, Afalai, who are training with the school kids, um, record signings that have just been shipped out on loan almost as soon as they've arrived. Uh, we've we've had some players, yes, that haven't lived up to the the hype, um, but they're not anywhere near as as disastrous I think as you could say about yeah, exactly. some of the other team signings so I do think that I, I think they're worth another chance I, I think we all screw up at work um, they've not paid Saints haven't paid the ultimate punishment of being no. relegated I do think we. I don't think they were brave to bring in Hughes yeah I think they brought in the right manager at the yeah, right time I'd give them another well. go okay I mean I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of like say just so I, mean, I think everyone's kind of agreed that if Kruger, you know, Kruger and Reed have kind of come out, or Kruger has, and publicly kind of said, yeah, we got things wrong. Um, and he's also said, you know, he's, he's backed Les Reed. And Les Reed is actually going for a job with the FA, which he might well get. And, and, and if you point back at his CV for Southampton, up until this season, it has been incredibly successful. So he, Les Reed joined the, the club back in 2010. So for those of you with a good enough memory or remember that that was the season that we got promoted, 2010-11, we got promoted from League One into the championship. Um, And so the players that he's been involved with, if we presume that he's been bringing players the whole time, you know, from that first season, bringing people like Danny Butterfield, uh, De Prado, 
um, Richard Chaplow, also, you know, Jack Stevens yep. came in, came in yeah. at that time. And then, so you're talking about all the players that have come in since then as well. Maurizio Pochettino, Ronald Koeman, Sadio Mane, Dusan Tadic, Graziano Pella, Virgil van Dijk, Virgil van Dijk, Toby Alderweireld, Fraser Forster, who I know this season had a terrible season, but has been fantastic for Saints previously. His record over the full stretch of the eight years that he's been with Southampton is exceptionally good. And as long as he's willing to, you know, not drink the Kool-Aid, as you say, James, not to believe his own hype and continue working hard at leading that kind of football decisions and being that director of football role and understand that, you know, he hasn't solved football and that there is still some work to be done and that you can still sometimes be found out and caught up, then I think, think they're worth a little bit more of a go. And to be honest, it's all down to Gao anyway. Yeah, and who knows what Gal's intentions are? Um, uh, who who has got? I mean, no one knows. Probably not even Kruger and, and Reed. So, but what is probably quite right is he won't want to upset the cash cow. And and right now the cash cow is looking good. Yeah, the cash cow was very, very, very nearly upset. It was then, nearly it? put out to yeah pasture. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, that, those are some kind of big season topics. Um, I mean, do we want to get onto draws, losses? I mean, what? We kind of. Why? Why? Why don't? Okay, so so let's let's skip forward to um, an email that we received from Sean Clark. It's a good email. Um, So Sean Clark basically uh, emailed in, and his main concern really was about the amount of points that we've thrown away. He he said an extra time, but I'm going to extend this to you know eighty minutes onwards. in extra time, time he kind of notes that you know obviously we lost a point to Man City, lost a point to Everton, um, lost uh, a point to Man City again. Um, so twice we did that, um, and then he also doesn't mention Dakure, which he didn't blame on Southampton. He blames it on, on the ref. But I mean, this is an interesting point that Sean has picked up here, and also a chap called Saint Harris on Twitter. Um, Saint Harris kind of compiled all of the goals that we've conceded after the 80th minute and, and kind of what that's cost Southampton. So I'm going to go through this. Stoke 2 and Southampton 1 with Crouch with an 85th minute goal. Uh, City 2, Southampton 1, Sterling with a 97th a, minute goal. That was a heartbreaker, that, that one. It really was a killer. Vokes, we talked about um, the Burnley game at home and that's we horrible. conceded 81st minute. Arsenal 1-1 one, one at home, Giroud getting a goal in the 88th minute. Uh, Watford 2-2 Decore I mean Cheats. whether you blame that on Southampton or not I don't know uh, the Palace game where we lost at home having been a, in the lead um, I can't even say his name but Miller Milovic Milovic yeah, Milovic, yeah. Um, he, he got a goal in the last kind of 10 minutes um, Arsenal 3-2 at the Emirates that loss we were 2-2 with 10 minutes to go he got that goal in the last 10 minutes Everton we had Davis with a 97 minute um, sucker punch that goal to, for the equaliser and then on Sunday we had um, Jesus coming in and not saving Southampton um, in the 94th minute so that's that's 12 points dropped in the last 10 minutes of the game and I think one or two points gained in the last 10 minutes or yeah, the so last two minutes of the game what do we gain we gain the what we gain the win against West, West Ham United. I think that's the only goal we scored late maybe Don't I, know. I, I think you're right Tom um so that's 12 points dropped. Is that fitness? 
Is that concentration? Is that tactics? Is that what? What? I don't know. Like, if you look at, I don't know. I, to be honest, I can't remember the crouch goal. Um, but there are many. It was many, very scrappy. It was like very scrappy. Yeah, it's classic yeah. Uh, Peter Crouch goal. But I think if you look at, there's many reasons why. There. Let's just pick a few. Sterling's goal was a world class goal. We've done so well. Sterling's goal was unstoppable. He'd have scored that goal with any team on the planet. Voke's goal was because we had terrible decision making and terrible game management from the manager. Uh, Mihailovic again terrible decision making should never even been in a position where that was even feasible Davis you could argue a combination of poor clearance from Bertrand terrible referee decision yeah I don't think there's any one reason but uh, to be honest I think if we're going to pick a theme here Vokes Giroud Mihailovic Welbeck you could argue it Davis you could kind of argue it Terrible defending is the strongest. Yes. Yeah. Panicking. Yeah. Blind yeah. panic. Yeah. It's also, we've had a problem all season. And, and again, you know, I don't have numbers for this, but the sheer number of goals we've conceded from pretty average crosses into the box. Mm. I mean, if you look at the games, uh, uh, you know, the game against Huddersfield, we were 1-0 up. The game against Brighton, when we were 1-0 up. Even like the Decore handball, you know, we've conceded some really bang average goals this year that you have to say if like a Van Dyke was there, he, we wouldn't have conceded. They don't happen. On, well, they rarely happen when Virgil Van Dyke was on the And Fonte. And I wonder if that's it. I wonder if it's leadership. Well, I mean, there's, there's two things there. I mean, Van Dyke. Uh, last time I checked was still the most successful header of the ball in Southampton season I mean and that was despite probably the worst six months we've or you know it wasn't even that probably three months we've ever had out of Van Dyke um, yeah. he, he, he was abject this season and yet he was still the best the most consistently good um, but even but to be fair even an abject Van Dyke is, 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 better is than still better than what we've what we've got really mm. and the weird thing is we've managed to assemble a centre three centre backs uh, Benderek probably the only exception none of which can head the ball like Yoshida Stevens and Hoyt Hoyt in particular is terrible in the air I mean, which is bizarre as well because Stevens and Hoyt have shown that like when they're in an attacking situation they do seem to be able to head the ball um, anyway say so I think you know another interesting thing to come to and it's a thing that I've brought up a few times this season is the uh, XG table which um I think, you know, actually, if we're going to talk about the effect that Alex McCarthy's had on the yeah. side, um, we were talking about Saints having considered so many more goals than they should have done via the XG table whilst Fraser Force was still on the side. And Alex McCarthy, it stayed pretty much the same. So he's kind of done the job that you'd expect a goalkeeper to do. Um, so obviously Southampton have finished 17th, um, which I think is the first winner in the Premier League. If we'd scored the goals that our chances... Um, that we created should have you know, led to goals. So basically, XG, just as a reminder, it, it rates the value of the chances. So if you have a good chance, you have a high XG. If you have a half chance, it's low XG. Southampton would have finished in the top half of the table if we'd converted the chances that we should have done and also defended the chances that we should have done. So um, Manchester City were top of the table, rather unsurprising. Then Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United in sixth. Interestingly, the big difference with Manchester United is David De Gea. They should have 
conceded 15 more goals. Jesus. Wow. So, you know, that shows you the value of De Gea. You know. and he's virtually played every single game, so that yeah. is purely him. Um, here's another interesting one. Crystal Palace would then be seventh. Leicester City eighth, which I think is correct. And Southampton would be ninth um, if, you know, our strikers converted the goals that they should have done and our keepers should have saved the chances that they should have done. Um, which maybe is point points to kind of our frailties, you know, that defensive and that that front line. But who, who knows? Well, I don't, I don't think it's a. If you stop a hundred Saints fans this season, they would tell you that some of the goals we've conceded have been terrible. Uh, you know, centre backs, uh, centre forwards peeling off to end up on Cedric, who I think is about the same height as me, and players like Glenn Glenn Murray just being able to, you know, to easily outjump him. Um, so I don't think it's it's. It's not rocket science, is it? It's just we're just terrible at defending balls into the box. Um, so how are we going to rectify this all next season, Alfie Mawson? So are we going to get on straight into I that? Think, I so, think. So, 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 right, your Les Reed, your director of football, just for the next few moments on the podcast. Which players are you going to be getting out, getting rid of? Which areas are you looking to strengthen? And um, I, if you have some names, even just one in and one out, I'm interested. So I would, um, I, I think we'd keep Fraser as a second choice goalkeeper. I think he's a good second choice goalkeeper. Players out for me. Um, I don't think Buffal has a future at the club. I don't think Carrillo has a future at the club. I do think we need to sign another centre forward. And I think it depends on the style we want to play. I would say if we are genuinely wanting to play like a big lump up front, someone like Sam Vokes, you know, who can bring in players around him. He's good in the air, hold the ball up. Um, yeah, I, I w- and I think we do absolutely need a centre-back. And I think we need an old school. We should have bought Harry Maguire. That was the, the mistake he made. But I do think someone like Alfie Mawson, I think Gibson from Middlesbrough was a very good player. I, th- I think we just, you know, sometimes we just need to learn to lump it. I mean, that's that's not sexy. They're not they're not sexy names that you've brought up there, Tom. Are we've they? got this. We've got Tadic. We've got Redmond. We've got Lamina. We've got players that can do the sexy stuff. What we actually lack is just basics. Yeah, we need players that can just defend across. And of course, if you get Sam Vokes in as well, which is your kind of frontline option, that means that you can tell the story about your mum knowing Sam Vokes. Yeah, Penny Vokes. Yeah, she's listening. Hi, Penny. James, what about you? Um, I think, I think we need. Yeah, I think we need a defender. I think we need a central defender. We need someone who's big, who's strong, and can head the ball, obviously, and can tackle as well. Tackling's great. Um, <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> not not standing and giving them five yards. Um but yeah, I think we definitely need a centre back, especially if we're going to if we if Mark Hughes stays, then we probably need two centre backs because we're gonna play three at the back. Um I also think we need a striker and I don't think Rigio's given us what we wanted. I thought I think it was a pretty a bad decision. Bit, I feel sorry for him. I mean he could you never know. He could. He could actually. He's came. He came into an awful team that didn't know how to supply him with the ball in the way he wanted. And maybe, maybe over the summer, if he stays, 
they'll work that out on the training ground mm. and and we might have a have a good player there but yeah i want i want to see a a big strong attacking attacking um you know like another pella someone who's big a, a sam vase yeah someone who can bring the ball down and pass it on to one of our faster players and and that's the second bit that we need the third bit we need is we need another really good attacking winger another like i mean obviously you can't expect to sign Sadio Mane every time but someone who can take he can just like Quincy Promes yeah yeah or like i mean i would have happily taken Theo Walcott mm. um shout out to Pellegrino for telling the whole world all of our transfer targets before we'd <laughs> sign them. I'm pretty sure when Everton heard him go, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to try and get Walcott, they then went, oh, we should probably wrap this Walcott thing up then. Yeah. And same. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think we probably need a centre forward. I agree that we need another attacking, kind of fast-paced attacking midfielder, you know, someone to kind of connect... Um, the Lamina, Hoiberg, Romeo type to, to whoever's kind of leading the, the front line. Totally agree on the centre-back. I mean, we need another centre-back. Bednarek, though, looks... He looks great. He, he looks really good. I mean, we saw him play against Wolverhampton Wanderers, I think, very early on the season as we were kind of unceremoniously oh dumped out of the League Cup. And I don't think any of us thought that we would be getting to the end of the season going, well, you know, this Bednarek guy, he's, he's pretty good. And I he's- remember when the Chelsea team was, the Chelsea was announced and you thought Bednarek is Murata. I was like, oh God, this is, this could be bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think I, I love our centre backs as people, you know, I think, yeah, you're right. I think if, if you're going to go and have like, you know, a, a nice, yeah, a really kind of interesting, fun evening in the pub, if you went with our four centre backs, I think you would definitely get that. I think Maya Yoshida would be hilarious. I think Wesley Hu would be like kind of a nutter. I think Jack Stevens would be hilarious. And I think Ben oh, would you, be as well. Oh yeah, did you guys all see Jack Stevens try and whip down Tadic's <laughs> pants in front of the whole crowd? Tadic had a little panic yeah. attack. But maybe, yeah. but maybe you, you strike on something there, which is maybe they're just too bloody nice. Yeah. You know, maybe like your Yoshida's and your Jack Stevens. And I think Jack, don't go wrong, I love Jack Stevens. And I think that Jack Stevens is going to end up being a top quality centre-back. And this season will only have done him good. But maybe they're just too nice. Do, we need a, a bastard leader in there. Yeah, you need we? like a, you need like a, do you remember like Matt Elliott? Mm. He used to play for Leicester. Psychopath. You need like someone like that who just, he kicks people. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that we did used to have players that did that. I think Dejan Lovren was quite good at mm. get a, a well timed foul outside yeah. the box. Fonte was another one. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, let's let's go through. I think we need. I don't know if I like Alex McCarthy again. I I, I really used to love Fraser Forster, but I think if we brought in a really top quality goalkeeper, I don't think that would be a bad thing. Maybe we could look to Mark Hughes's old club. But also yeah. the the also like if you're Saints, they run that they run those financially quite yeah. tight. They now know that Force is probably not going to be first choice next season. By everything you've read this season, Force is the highest paid player at Saints. Are they going to look to get those wages off the bill? I imagine they'll bet they will. Quite possibly. Yeah. They won't get much of a return on that. And who's going to play Fraser, Fraser Forster the same amount that we're paying him? West Ham. Um, Newcastle. Okay. Actually, right. maybe not Newcastle. They don't pay anyone. There's two good anyone. shouts there. Um, I think our 
left back and our right back position. They both might be off this season. I'd expect Cedric yeah. and Bertrand probably both to leave this season. Is Matty Target going to come back from Fulham or is he going to be sold out there? Who, who, who do we bring in in those positions? I don't know if we necessarily... I think if we lost Jeremy Bertrand... Piet. I like Jeremy Pierre. I think that if we lost Bertrand, and I think Bertrand will go, and I think Bertrand should go with the best wishes of Saints fans because Spurs are clearly looking to ship off Danny Rose. Bertrand is a natural replacement. Um, I think McQueen. I'd like to see McQueen given a go. I think if we're going to play an aggressive, uh, fast, almost winger, essentially, mm. then I think McQueen is that player. But what you would lose is that incredible experience that Bertrand provides. Yeah, I mean, I mean perhaps if we're going to play the 3 5 the Cedric and Bertram positions, you could almost look at who are the Southampton youth players that like to play right wing and left wing. Let's give them a chance there where the defensive responsibilities aren't that high because you're going to have three at the back um, where there is opportunity to get forward. Um, and they can also kind of like hone down some Premier League skills. They're probably not, you know, left wing back and right wing back. They, they can be very important parts of a team we've not been too bad at producing left backs over there I mean you have to look back at Gareth Bale and Wayne Bridge as Luke know, Shaw. pretty good quality and Luke Shaw as well yeah I think as well the one they all talk about is Jan Valery yeah the French kid I think is a right back for the for the youth team is meant to be really good but obviously there's a huge difference I do think Cedric will go I think he's kind of made all the noises that yeah. he probably will go um I don't the irony is I can't see him going anywhere really much better than Saints no um, but maybe he can get a decent European cup. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I think he could probably play for a Portuguese side in the Champions League. And um, like that. So looking across, I think for defensive midfielders, we've got more than our share that we need. I mean, I, if, if you offer me Schneiderlin back, I'd take him. But um, yeah, but the problem is he's, he's probably on so much money. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd like to see Harrison Reed come back. Or Jordi Classic. Which out of those two, would you yeah. take either of them back? I'll take Harrison Reed. Harrison Reed looks good Reed. because I'm seeing him in the championship. He's a good footballer. Um, so Jordi Classy, we can sack off. Bruges can keep him as far as you guys are concerned. Yeah. yeah. Um, highest win ratio of all recent Saints that players. In, that was incredible. Um, and then, so looking across the attacking midfield, we've got Nathan Redmond. We've got James Ward-Prowse. We've got Dusan Tadic. Josh um, Sims. We've got Josh Sims. Um, we've got Jake Hesker. Stephen Davis. Stephen Davis. Do we need a little bit of extra blood in there? I think we probably need an extra. I think we, we need, need a I think we goal need a, scorer, don't you? We need an extra really good player in that lot, don't we? Yeah. And, I think and, and, and who do we one. ship out from that? Is it going to be Davis and Redmond? I feel Davis's time might come to an end, and I think that'll be sad, but you can kind of see him going to Rangers. Um, I would. You'd almost like he's been such a good servant for Saints, but I can't see him getting many Isn't more. Isn't that goals. where we signed him from? Uh, yeah, yeah, but he loves Rangers podcasts. We forgot Buffal, but I think oh, yeah. we can take well, Buffal. I think Buffal's definitely on his way. He's on his way. Yeah. Um, I do think we need a bit more quality in there, and I also think we need to find a, a home for Ward Prowse. And we spoke about it so many. Like, what is Ward Prowse? He's not the box to box midfielder like Hoiberg and Lamina. He's not the enforcer like. Um, Romeo, so kind of what is a James Ward Prowse? And you know, and we spoke Send your about your answers on a face card at Saints. Yeah, podcast but we spoke about a right wing back. Yeah, we spoke about a right wing back, but he can't, he, he can't tackle. Though. Yeah. yeah, but you can't, Cedric can't really tackle that well. 
But yeah. my God, can he cross the ball, War Prowse? Yeah. And then, so let's get to our attacking three. We've got Charlie Austin. Um, we've got Shane Long. We've got Manolo Gabbiadini. And we've got our record signing, Guido Carigio. I think you'll see Shane Long leave. I think he know he needs a change of scene. Wouldn't surprise me if like someone like West Brom takes him back, you know, in, what, the, in, the, championship? in the championship. Um Charlie Austin, we love him, but he's not can't be trusted to be fit. Carrillo, God knows what Carrillo is. I'd like to see it but then I, and I, but then I can't see the way we play Gabby Dini fitting mm. in because Gabby Dini is is not a battering ram centre forward. I mean in addition to this we've got Sam Gallagher out on loan at Birmingham City. We had Obafemi who had, what, 10 minutes, um, you know, against Tottenham Hotspur. And he, he, he looked all right as well, you know. What's going to happen there? I think, actually, if you... It's funny because all four of those players have got qualities. They're, they're kind of four first-team attackers. They've all got qualities that you would would like and appreciate. Charlie Austin, great goal scorer. Manolo Gabbiadini, incredible in the box. And, you know, we've seen what he can do, you know, in some pretty amazing um, games last season. Um, Shane Long. I mean, no, that, I would that, keep that, Shane Long because I, I love him. He's a, he's a great option, isn't he? He's yeah. horrible. Yeah, I I, can't, I mean, I've he, never I can't remember the last time I saw a, t- a member of the opposition team enjoy playing against Shane Long. No, I I wonder if you just keep Shane Long for Arsenal games. Yeah, and Chelsea, Chelsea yeah, hates him as I, well. But I think Shane Long is a uh, is a fantastic substitute, and there's nothing wrong with mm. being a fantastic substitute, uh, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think. You know, he he could be, he's a great player for us to have on the bench to make things difficult for opposition teams. Yeah. And, and none of our other strikers gives us that. Okay. Um, so that's our transfers covered. I mean, I haven't given you guys a name, but my number one transfer target would be Ryan Sessignon, but I think we've almost left it too yeah, late. You now. and everyone else. Yeah, I think so. I think it's probably going to go to someone um, better. Quincy- we'll, we'll play in the Premier League next season. Yeah. Give him a week. Never know. I mean, Quincy promised. Looks quite promising, doesn't he? By all accounts, I mean, I can only say what I've seen on on YouTube, yeah. but yeah, but and he does seem to have genuinely blistering pace, which is something we've probably not really yeah. had since Mane. Well, blistering pace combined with end product, and I love Redmond, but his end product is uh, erratic. Right, I've got one more topic of discussion before we get into our end of season Saints FC podcast awards. Okay. Um, and at the end of this week, there's going to be the Champions League final. Now, there's going to be a lot of ex-Southampton players in and around these two clubs, which is Real Madrid versus Liverpool, for those of you who are not Live interested in football outside of uh, <laughs> Southampton. Um, Gareth Bale, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Adam Lallana, Virgil van Dijk, Nathaniel Klein, Dejan Lovren, and um, Sadio Mane. Obviously, like no, most of them are at Liverpool. Obviously, Gareth Bale is at Real Madrid. The question I want to ask you two is, looking at those kind of ex-Southampton players that are in around that Champions League squad, have Southampton, over this kind of like past decade, five years, I don't know whether you want to say it, have we missed out on our opportunity to be the Nottingham Forest that existed in 1979 and 1980, an unfashionable provincial side 
became the best team in Europe just for a few moments. Have Southampton had that opportunity and not quite grasped it? I think that's overstretching. I think where we missed was we could have won the league when Leicester won the league. Like I think the European Cup is is now the the quality of yeah Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, Bayern Munich. Right, so on. far ahead. But look at the players that are in the final. Yeah, but Tom. Also, yeah, but they're, also, yeah, but they're playing seven with, of them. Yeah, but they're playing with Salah. They're playing with Firmino. They've been playing with Coutinho. They've been playing with unbelievable with Cristiano quality. Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo, Isco. You know, they've been playing with unbelievable players. I, I think that we. I don't. I think the Champions League thing is a misnomer. I think that. Because it's almost like too much luck involved. Where we should have won the if we were going to do anything, it was when Leicester won the league. Because Leicester pound for pound players were no better than ours. Um, maybe Mares the only one aside, and I think we, that could, that should have been us. Yeah, I think if we kept some players, I mean, Premier League league titles. I think you know that's there's a lot of luck going on there. There's I, I, a lot of other teams playing badly. All of the good teams had had bad season that my, season. My, my argument would be, though, that the Premier League is actually more difficult to win yeah, I think than it, the Champions League. The Champions League has got more luck. The, yeah. the players... Are big, but on a cup game over two legs, you can, you can beat a team that's better than you. You know, in the Premier League, I mean, Leicester, what Leicester City did was absolutely incredible. It's amazing. And for team supporters of mid you know table or middling clubs or whatever you know teams outside the big six Leicester winning the league was, was one of the greatest things we've seen um, in English football for a, certainly a long time but you, you cannot ignore the fact that like there's going to be probably 26 players involved in that Champions League final and there's a good chance that six of them are going to have been ex-Southampton players and you can't escape that fact. They're, they it? are there playing in the most important game of the season. But doesn't this kind of World Cup doesn't, doesn't this kind of call back to one of your earlier questions about Les Reed? You know, like there's a, there's a symbol of Les Reed's success. Let's look at that list: Mane, Lovren, Klein, Van Dijk, um, all players that were signed during the Les Reed reign. Bale, Ox, and Lalana. Pretty sure Southampton Academy. Southampton Academy when what, rejoined in twenty ten. Yeah. So I mean, they they are pre Reed. Yeah. They're about pre Reed, but they came to the forefront under Reed's, you know, management of the club. I think that we're blessed, aren't we? Like yeah. we we should look at that, and we should be really proud of, on you know in a couple of weeks in Kiev when you know if someone like Lalana or Gareth Bale or Oxo chamberlain one of the homegrown lads, does something really special. Um, should we, though? Shouldn't we be angry at the club for missing this opportunity? Because, I okay, so I get it. You know, people say, well, if we hadn't have sold so-and-so, then we wouldn't have bought so-and-so. But actually, if you'd built up that momentum, you'd started moving up into the Premier League. Let's say you'd finished third. Let's say you'd... Fi- Tottenham Hotspur... Okay, so they're a bigger club in terms of finances. They're based in London, blah, blah, blah. But they were not the most fashionable club in the world and they're now attracting kind of bigger stars. But, you know, if it wasn't Van Dyke, you could have had Alderweireld in there. You know, we've also had Morgan Schneidlin. We've also had Victor Wanyama. We've also had Luke Shaw come through the, 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 the academy. We've also had Callum Chambers who we could have held on to. You know, there's a lot of players that you could it's, fit around those yeah. seven and have 
a really wonderful team that I think would finish in the top four every season. Yeah, I, but I don't. I don't think it's, it's a simple like we had. Like for example, take Bale. We had to sell Bale because the club was in massive financial yeah. difficulty. Um, you know, I I don't think that. I don't think it's as simple as as we would like it to be. And I think that um, in some ways, I've said it before, Saints fans, we've been spoiled by some of the quality of players that have come through and that have signed for our club. And um, this season, a bit of a wake-up call. But yeah, got some great players. I don't know, like just great players there. And I, I know that like we all hate Liverpool, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to see someone like Adam Lallana, who I know that we all don't like, anymore but like we, we, wouldn't it be better to see Gareth Bale wouldn't it be Gareth. better to see Gareth Bale yeah I don't know win another European Cup yeah. I'm not sure and also uh, by the way apparently Saints get 10 million pounds if uh, if Liverpool I know. I, I mean League. I think this is an interesting question I'm not sure who I'm supporting whether I'm supporting Gareth Bale or whether I'm supporting Oxo Chamberlain Lallana Van Dijk Lovren Klein, blah, 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 blah. because you know I, I like Mane um, yeah I really like Mane I like Oxo Chamberlain um, I quite like Nathaniel Klein. Virgil van Dijk, I really, really, really Also, dislike. I've spent all season saying Van Dijk has sold himself short by going to Liverpool. <laughs> and if he wins the Champions League, it shows I know nothing, <laughs> which is true, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, that's that's a question for Saints FC fans. Knowing that Liverpool winning the Champions League final would guarantee an extra £10 million for Southampton. That's half a Carrillo, people. That's yeah, half a yeah. Carrillo. That is, that is what, a Geordie Classy? That's a Geordie Classy. Um, okay, so, I mean, you can support whoever you like then, don't we? <laughs> I mean, let's, let, let's, let's face it, we've missed out on going down to the Championship and having our budget reduced from £150 million yeah. from TV rights down to about Fifty, 50 million, million yeah. was. and that's as good as it gets. Fifty million, it goes progressively a lot worse after that, doesn't it? Okay, so I mean, who wants to sing me a little jingle for the Saints FC podcast awards here? I no, no. It's the awards of the season. Okay, that that'll do. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second annual Saints FC podcast yeah. awards. So we're going to have nominations from James Bailey, from Tom Parker, and from myself, John Bailey. And then between the three of us, we're going to choose the person who is most, um, you know, or the person or the situation or the moment that is most deserving of these awards. So let's start off with one which is normally quite a nice and easy one, but I think this season is actually quite a difficult one. But the Academy slash Young Player of the Season. James and Tom, who have you got down and why? Um, I've got Bednarek down because he came in at the end of the season and put in good performances that probably kept us up. And despite not really having a good, good first run out against Wolves... Um, he he obviously has gone back onto the training pitch and worked hard and waited for his chance and then he came on the pitch and played played like the promising defender that we 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 were told we'd bought at the start of the season. Jack Stevens for me. Jack I, Stevens. I, I know he's had his faults and I've I've criticised him a little bit, but his commitment is a hundred percent. He scored important goals uh, when it's mattered, and I think he has stepped up into um, a, a leadership role in a team that has been lacking in leaders. So for me, I, I think he's done really well. And also I think he's a tremendously promising uh, footballer for Saints. I mean, can, can I ask a question here? What denotes a young player? He's probably like 38, isn't he? <laughs> Sorry, Jack Stevens. I mean, he's, well, he's, 
he's 24 years old, um, which also happens to be the same age. Uh, in fact, actually, James Ward-Prowse is younger than Jack Stevens. James Ward-Prowse yeah. is 23 years old. Jack Stevens is 24 years old. Does Jack Stevens... I mean, Jack Stevens was signed by Les Reed in 2010, Tom. He was a child. Yeah. I don't know. Is he still a young player? I think we've had a dearth of, of talent. And isn't, isn't something like... Isn't Raheem Sterling like 24 and he's nominated for PFA... Young Player of the Year this year, so and that's my basis. I'm going with the PFA Young Player rules. Okay, um, I'm, I'm still actually astonished that James Will Prowse is only 23 years old, younger than Jack Steve. I mean, and he's been hanging around for centuries. And isn't we he? still don't know what he does. I know. Um, I mean, I, I'm in agreement with James. Uh, Jan Bednarek was going to be. He played uh, four my, games. I know, but I mean. How important were those four games? <laughs> well, he scored one goal and we not... Oh, guys, oh, can't stay in the way of brothers, I guess. Um, so, uh, Bednarek, congratulations. You've won Young Player of the Season. Um, shame that's not gone to an academy player, I think. It's just... I mean, who's, that, who's come in? Sims played a few games. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, Sims it's hasn't actually... had as much of a go as you I mean, hoped. I don't think anyone... Like, a lot of the academy have really had slim pickings this season because we because it went down to the line at the end of the season mm. like they never got the runs out at the end of the season and because in the majority of the first team players didn't really get hurt that many times and so no one really got a good stint in a, in a position like they did the season before um, I've got player of the season next which sounds like a very important award but in the Saints FC podcast awards I mean this is just run of the mill stuff McCarthy Alex McCarthy from Tom um, do you want to explain why? Just because I think if you look at one player that made a difference, like I agree, like the team was fairly consistent, wasn't it, all year? There's no one really that came in and blew anyone away. Um, you could argue Hoiberg uh, did, but in terms of just making a difference, maybe this is the benefit of being a goalkeeper, it's McCarthy, wasn't it? And also he was in such stark contrast with the man who went before him. James? I'd have Hoiberg as my player of the season. Just peeps of passion. I mean, he didn't he didn't really get picked that much towards the start of the season, and really once 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 they put him in the team, once Pellegrino put him in the team, he showed so much that he it was very hard to not put him in the team. I think he got something like ten minutes didn't he under Pellegrino, so, like in the first eleven games of the season, or something yeah. ridiculous. Was that it? I mean, Pellegrino was notorious for not playing certain players, where you were like, why why don't you just try playing him like? Oh, the obvious one, Charlie Austin. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've got a different player from both of you two, uh, which is Dusan Tadic. Um, and my argument for this is, is Saints haven't had a particularly good season, but in the games that we have won, and ultimately the games that have got us over the line, Dusan Tadic has been pretty influential. I mean, if you take the um, game, the away game against West Brom, the home game against Everton, um, in the games that have kind of ultimately kept us up at the end of the season, Dusan Tadic has been a pretty key part of the games that have counted. Um, and that, that's why I've got... And, and I bet you statistically, although he's much maligned until very recently by a lot of Saints fans, myself included... He has been consistently like our most impactful player, I think, in terms of assists, in terms of goals. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we kind of get a bit annoyed at him, but we'd be in a lot worse place without him. 
I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. I don't know whether he deserves it, you know, because I don't think he's always given his all. Do you know what I mean? Like, you kind of would hope that, um, you know, you kind of expect more from Dusan Tadic. I mean, we always consider him the assist king. He's had three assists this season, which is pretty poor um, by his standards. But he's also scored six goals. And he's only one goal off uh, where Charlie Austin was, which is, you know, quite interesting. He's probably had too much pitch time to be deserving of the player of the season, though. Um, and then Pierre-Emil Hoiberg and Alex McCarthy have probably had too little pitch time this season to win it. But, I mean, I'm going to let you two battle this one out. I'm willing to concede on Dusan Tadic. So who's it going to be between the two of you? Can you find an even ground? Uh, I would happily go Hoiberg. I think his effort, his commitment. He's also had a terrible year, personally, uh, with his, his dad passing away. He appears to be a, a natural leader, which, again we've lacked on the pitch he also you know he genuinely seems to care yeah doesn't he like he genuinely yeah. seems to like I can't remember I think it was, was it after Newcastle where he kind of stood he did that interview that went on for like three minutes and he went he, well off script he did the interview that nobody wanted to do didn't he yeah, yeah. and I, I think he cares you know yeah. I, I did and that is that's all that's all really what fans want to see isn't it yeah so um that's confirmed. Congratulations, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, Southampton uh, Saints FC podcast player of the season. Next one, goal of the season. I'm happy for you to go first on this one. Um, I know that the club kind of, well, the fans picked Gabby Dini's goal. Um, that's actually not what goal of the season is, though. It's the best goal. And the best goal. No, nobody's going to be watching that one in a hundred years' yeah, time no. to look for. They're not going to show technique. kids that, are they? No. At soccer school. Um, I, I would say it has to be Buffal. James, um, I've gone for something different though. I do think Buffal's goal was excellent. Um, I'm going to go for the Charlie Austin's second goal against Everton in the in that in that four-one win and. And I think, again, technique, I thought he was excellent. I thought he got in front of the defender. Can you, can you, I can't it remember in. it. Can you describe it's, it for me? It's where the the Everton right-back kind of gave up, didn't he? And was it Bertrand, like, chased the ball down? Yeah. Or Taddeck chased the ball down? And, like, yeah, Bertrand, Everton just kind of stood there. Yeah, Bertrand crossed it in, and Charlie Austin ran way... Well, ran in front of the... Ran, ran across the goal in front of the defender and did a glancing header backwards, which Off is... Off the bar. Yeah, and it just like snuck in into the top corner and good the goalkeeper goal. just couldn't get anywhere near it. And it was it, it actually takes a lot of good technique to do that. I certainly couldn't do it. I think most, <laughs> quite a lot of Premier League football players can't do that, score a goal like that. And also, it was probably the only moment in the whole season where I was content that we were going to win the game. And I was... and. <laughs> And I was just like, this is, this is it. The, the, I, the I relax factor. and I can, I can sit back for the next 30 minutes of this game and enjoy myself. Can, can we have another couple of mentions as well? Didn't Lamina hit a screamer? Lamina hit a, a yeah, pile a driver against yeah. West Brom away. Um, yeah, that was very good. I also loved Nathan Redmond's goal against Everton. I think yeah. that was a really good, the way we broke. And you kind of saw... 
the best of Saints at that moment with Tadic's very clever weighted pass, mm. Cedric's whipped cross, and and fair play to Bremen. It was a great downward header. I, I also really enjoyed Dusan Tadic's chip against West Brom in the FA Cup quarterfinal. Um, oh yeah, that was yeah, nice. And I also really enjoyed Dusan Tadic's uh, finish against Everton, which was the little kind of right foot, left foot, yeah, kind of yeah. little jink and then finish. But um, I've got to say, I'm with you, Tom. I think people are going to be watching that Buffal goal back. It was great. Um, it, was. It, was, it was Maradona-esque, wasn't it? Yeah. And it, what was brilliant is there were so many elements to it. There was the brilliant turn where he kind of takes out two players in his own half the slalom run and then for me the coup de gras isn't the finish it's the it's this brilliant moment where two lumbering west brom defenders kind of boink off each other like something out of the avengers Uh, like where he kind of just drops his shoulder and causes them to crash into each other and then a very cool finish kind of spoil it with his little entitled child celebration Mm. um but like, yeah, I think in a season which has no, well, very few redeeming moments, that's probably the one bit you look back and go of genuine quality. Yeah. Um, so congratulations, Sophie and Buffel. Uh, you've won the goal of the season competition from the Saints FC podcast. Although nobody really likes you, which is why you didn't win it uh, from <laughs> the, the, the vote from the fans. Um Hero of the season. Or should we do villain of the season first yeah. and then do hero of the season? Uh, for me, villain of the season is officials. Officials. I think that the standard of, of officialdom this season has been terrible. And I think that combined with this bizarre semi-introduction of VAR, like, I just don't understand what they thought that was going to work in some games and not in others. Um, I, I think we've been we've been cheated out of points. And I don't think there's a big club, small club conspiracy, but bigger clubs seem to get the rub of the green more. And if you look at like the Everton game, that's never a foul by Redmond. You look at the 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 um, handball, yeah. the core at West Ham, uh, at, Watford. at Watford, you know, we've just not had the rub of the green. James, what about you? Um, well, I've got I've got two two down. So one sort of is in the same line with you, though I've gone for the player Decore for because because he did hit the ball in the back of the net with his hand. But I think I think it probably should be Pellegrino because I think he just he stood he stood in in this club for seven months, and I mean I think. I think I knew something was wrong with Southampton after two games. After two games, I thought so there was, was something, something was wrong. Was Swansea at home and West. Was it Swansea at home and then uh, the Wolves game was probably the second game of the season. Yeah, the League Cup. Yeah. I mean, probably more like probably more like four games. But but, so, so, um, but I think he just he just stood he just stood on the side of that pitch watching us play awfully and not trying to change and do anything different. I was just. Yeah. It's like it's like those most annoying people you find at at work. Those ones that just like they're just doing a shit job, and they it's like the ones that don't care. You're just like, oh, okay, I see, I see you're pissed off about something. But the ones that are just completely oblivious to the fact that they're not doing that stuff right, and you just you just look at them and go, I can't. I don't even know where to where to begin with you. Um, I mean it. I had the officials down as my kind of villain or villains of the season as well, thinking that was going to be like a controversial 
um, or kind of like left field choice. But um, I mean, I don't think this is a Saints fan thing as well. The standard just, just, of officialdom has been really just poor. Speaking. I mean, there's a reason why no English referees or, or linesmen are going to the World Cup. Um, like Isn't was that f- just an administrative error that um, that what's his face retired and took a better job than refereeing In Saudi? Uh, no, then- no, I don't. I think that I mean, look, I remember the Everton game. The the worst decision on the Everton game, bizarrely enough, wasn't the um, Redmond foul. It was. Uh, one of the Everton players took it like a whole yard off the pitch right in front of the linesman when they were attacking and the linesman didn't see it. They, to be honest, the, the standard's been really poor and the standard is they sell it as a premium quality product, Premier League football, but the thing that binds it, which is the refereeing, is not premium quality. Um, so there you go. Referees or officials, you have won the villain of the season, which is... Rather impressive in a season where we could have had plenty of villains. Um, but it's funny enough, I think if we had been relegated, we would have talked about the officials an awful lot um, in this uh, episode because, I mean, they, 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 were, they were just terrible and they really nearly could have cost us the, the league. Um, there's, so should we go, go for the hero of the season then? Oh, God. Uh, it's such a weird concept. Uh, should, I, should I go first? Because yeah, I, I mean, on, I'm yeah. just asking the yeah. questions. I'm just going to say Mark Hughes. Do, I mean, I don't think we need to explain it because we talked about him earlier on, but I, I think yeah. Mark Hughes is, is the hero. Yeah, I'd take that. I would uh, go uh, something slightly different. I would go um, Pierre Mahoyberg purely for um, facing incredible... And if you haven't read his interview in The Independent... Just a little while ago, I'd strongly urge you to read it. The man's had an unbelievably difficult time with the death of his dad. And I think the character he's shown this season, uh, when other people would have shrunk, he has grown. So for me, I think there's a, there's a big lesson in all of us, uh, you know, that we could all take from Pierre Hoiberg. James, he's, you said Mark Hughes as well. Yeah. I think there's definitely honorable, honorable mentions to the players that, turned up every week and showed that they cared on the pitch. Shane Long, Charlie Austin, when he played, he certainly cared. I mean, he didn't care enough to get himself fit, though, did he? (laughs) No, but, you know, he did. did, Has he he ever been fit? Probably not. I think I I did see him fit, but he was, I think he was playing for Swindon Town against (laughs) us. Um, but he could he could score goals and and he he always looks like he cares and he yeah. always looks like he knows where he wants the ball and communicates that to the other players and um i think jack stevens always cares hoiberg all the time every moment of the game just lives it and there are others as well uh, fans as well by the way Oh yeah, people the fans who, definitely. Yeah, actually, the people what, week in week out, incredible support for 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 putting up with for that, putting up with that garbage. Sticking, I mean, did they stick behind the team? I think we used to boo a lot. We were booing substitutions in the FA Cup third yeah, round and did. fourth round. Yeah, but we, like, yeah, but booing we a substitution is t- different. And also, if you thought about if you if you look at what the other teams would do when they come to us and they'd not be losing against us, and their fans would completely land that they'll be going they'll be seeing you know we're effing shit we're effing shit or we're one nil up you know yeah when when we're effing you know all this stuff that that we actually 
sort of I, stayed I like away you, from. I managed to bleep out your Fs, but <laughs> yeah, not the, the, the S's yeah. are different. Whoa, whoa, well, whoa. You know, no, this is not like wild man country. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, can't bleep everything out. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I mean, that makes me think, you know, who, who deserves it more, Mark Hughes or to the fans? I think Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, he's already won our player of the season, so... You know, let's, let, let's let's let's. Uh, yes, the fans aren't getting a million pounds, are they? Most of them. No, but I mean, who who got us over the line? Was it the fans or was it Mark Hughes? Mark Hughes? It was Mark Hughes. It was Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes, you are our hero of the season, despite being manager for a mere eight Premier League games and just two FA Cup games. Um, most improved player. This is one that I didn't prep you with, but it is one we had last season. So, who's your most improved player this season? Again, do you want me to go first? Because you two are both yeah. looking back at me with blank faces. Jan Bednarek, because, I mean, he started from a pretty low base. And the way he finished the season, he looked like a top-quality central defender. Yeah, it's a, it's a good shout. I mean, against Wolves, he couldn't have been much worse. No. Poor guy. Um, so did, did, did he did he play a masterstroke there and setting the bar? So he he heard of the Saints FC. He knew what he could I win. I mean, Maya Yoshida won this award last season, and he liked our tweet um about uh, about the award so i mean he's Beautiful. obviously aware of the saints fc podcast Listens, most improved player of the season award do you think when yan showed up in the summer he was just like look mate the other center backs pulled into one side there's there's a there's an award out here that's pretty important to go here for a young player better better <laughs> it's the saints fc most improved go out against walls play the worst you've yeah. ever you could ever imagine to play and then just it's like, if it doesn't that mean they thought I'm pretty pony in the first place? Yeah, but Jan, don't worry about that. Yeah. You can win the You can win the award. Can win the award. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's fair. I think also, to be fair to him with the Wolves performance, he probably turned up going and and they were like, oh yeah, we're going to put you on in this League Cup game. We're basically, we're playing this team from the lower league that are pretty crap because none of us have watched who, how what they are and we're not going to bother to tell you that they've spent like 40 million player pounds on players over the summer and and he probably was like oh okay yeah that's cool i'll turn up and then was like what the? he's playing like a 20 million pound player what's going on here yeah, oh like he is a 20 feet. million pound player yeah playing. I, yeah i think you're right i mean ben ray is a good shout again i would say hoiberg hoiberg uh you it's know good shout. just just yeah really he's come he's, on he was certainly better than last season and become a leader isn't he i mean the thing is the thing is with hoiberg is um he, he played for bayern munich before he's won the bundesliga title i mean I, he's won like the the german cup like twice I don't, has he got a champions league winners medal i don't think I don't he played in the final think but I he think, has i think bertrand's the only one with one of those lamina played in the final as well yeah um yeah it, it, but i think but but most improved is not about where they were before it's about since how they've, they've come at Saints. Saints or even how they were since last season. So for me, Hoiberg is a, is a good shout because that's my choice. James? Um, I think I think Bednarek has a shout. I think, yeah. I mean, I mean we he, didn't we didn't show that much improvement this season. I, I think you've got the casting vote, James. You can, you can choose between Hoiberg or Bednarek here. Um, I'll go with Bednarek. There we go. Bednarek, congratulations. Your season ambition has been um, awarded there. He probably thought getting called in the provisional squad for the World Cup's good. When he learns this, he is going to 
go absolutely nuts. <laughs> and and can we just say, um, if any of the football players or anyone who knows any of the football <laughs> players in the Southampton squad wants to help us get in touch, and we will we will create we'll create an award to give Papier you we'll, mache trophies all round. <laughs> we'll put so much love into that trophy for you guys. I mean, I'm not willing to do this, <laughs> but if you guys want to make the trophy, like. Get cracking. I'd like to give it to Yoshida because he just seems um, so nice. In fact, actually, it has reminded me of another thing which we probably do need a prize for and I don't know what the prize should be yet. But um, in the Saints FC podcast, Premier League fantasy football draft, um, Mitch Letissier uh, got in contact with me this week to point out the fact that he's won that league. Um, do we have a prize for him? Uh... Or, or is or is the prize a shout out in you know the prize the kind is of a like, shout out yeah and having the best surname in the history of saints yeah yeah I, I mean Matt Letizia is his dad that's how he's got that surname he could have changed it yeah <laughs> anyway Mitchell um, congratulations on winning that um, you know. some achievement as well yeah such commitment goes into fantasy football yeah um, I mean. I mean, I lost interest in fantasy football when I realised that I couldn't pick Southampton players and actually get any points out of it. Yeah, I mean, my fantasy football performance is generally based on how well Southampton do. And um, yeah, good. this season's not been a great... I mean, it, it really helps because you know when the know which ones the point scorers are. Yeah. Um, and we've got another award here, which is Chant of the Season, which we had last year because we had that fantastic chant about Manolo Gabbiadini. Has there been a decent chant that we've had this season that could get up for this award uh, one player that seems to love his chant is Charlie Austin's red and white yeah he seems to really like that uh, and he hates Pompey so that's for me okay James any any suggestions um Lamina's chant was good um was one I liked this season but I think yeah I, I mean I don't think we've done we've had the most amazing chants have we I mean, I, I really like the Mario Lamina song, which um, has the line in it, he never gives the ball away. And then for Jeez. me, that was just totally ruined in that 3-0 capitulation at the London Stadium against West Ham, where he gave the ball away well, and, and in that, some quite critical situations. But I remember the first time I heard that chant was uh, the game at Palace, yeah. when uh, we looked like we'd we'd signed Paul Pogba, and that Man United accidentally signed someone else, because he was so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, should be an Arsenal player though we probably will be now <laughs> um, I, I mean I'm willing to just eliminate this one from I don't think we've got a, a, a it's a, it's a week and who do we give it to we can't give it to 38,000 Saints fans no so chant of the season Saints fans must try harder next season <laughs> no. uh, damning indictment let's, let's hope we have something more to sing about I mean let's face it if we were in the FA Cup final uh, this weekend that Sparky Sparky Hughes is going to keep us up and win the FA Cup. I mean that that would have That'd been be great. that would have been the one. But um, I, you know what? Actually, maybe the chant of the season is "We are staying up. Yeah. We are staying up." Yeah, that one's pretty good. Yeah, let's let we'll, there well, you go, Saints fans. Yeah. yeah, reinstated. We are staying up. Um, is the chant of the season? Um, Who'd have thought we'd be saying that this time last year? Man, that is depressing, isn't it? Um, player slash manager most likely to leave. It's B-foul, isn't, isn't it? It's got to be. Yep. I mean, that's that's a no-brainer. I mean, he, okay, how about second most? Carillo. Carillo? Yeah, I think he probably could go. Um, he just... Think, he, uh, yeah, or, he, or someone 
you know, the thing is, is actually the players that leave us are the are the best ones. So it probably could be Bertrand as well. Yeah, yeah. I think Bertrand's a good I shout. I think Bertrand and Cedric are probably both on their way. If it, the career just stinks of former manager signing that no one else wants. Poor guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do feel sorry for him. Probably um, his answer in a few years' time, career. Saints, yeah. Um, moment of the season. Best and worst moments of the season, guys. Best for me, um, the celebration with Charlie Austin, Dushan Talik, Mark Hughes, and I think it was Jack Stevens after the Bournemouth game. Because I think that was the first time you saw a real togetherness. Yeah, I really liked that. When when that happened, I was like, okay, like no shadow of a doubt, he's he's doing the doing the right job yeah. for us. Um, isn't this though, the opportunity where we get to give the award to Manolo Gaviadini for scoring the goal that ultimately kept us in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, my the really the biggest moment for me this season was definitely the moment when that when the referee blew the whistle against Swansea and. And it was all basically, it was all basically over. All of that pain was, was, we could just put it behind us. And I really, really enjoyed that. Like, um, here, here's a left field shout. What about when Wigan beat Man City and we knew that we'd be going to Wembley? I think that, I, yeah, it was nice. <laughs> it's left field. I think for me, though, that it would have meant, like, I would have actually, obviously, if this I would have preferred us to win the FA Cup and go down yeah been quite open about that this season um, but yeah I don't know it's just very at Bournemouth the celebration it, you kind of felt that you had a manager that was able to bring together a nucleus of players that cared enough to keep us in the Premier I League mean, it, it was great to finally see the result of that industry as well that we'd seen against Arsenal and Chelsea who are sides that had better quality but actually once we applied ourselves against a side with, with a kind of like similar level of quality if not worse quality we were actually able to, to get the win I agree. So, so is it victory against um, South Coast rivals, not really rivals, kind of friends, Bournemouth? It, it, but it's not, it wasn't the victory. I think it's, the, key, it's the celebration. It's, it's the celebration because it's, for me, it's what the celebration symbolised. It, it, it could have been playing anyone. You forget Bournemouth. Mm. It was just about the fact that, you know, maybe, just maybe, he's convinced them that they've got enough in them that they can stay in this league. Um, okay, so I, I've decided on my favourite one. And that's uh, Mark Hughes marching the players off the bus and into the Liberty Stadium at Swansea is, is, is my moment of best moment of the season, I think. Which is kind of when we knew we had a manager that was a leader and the leadership that we've been lacking. Um, what are we going to give? I mean, the, the, the Swansea game's got two nominations, but maybe it's the Bournemouth celebrations. Maybe it's that first glimmer of hope that the great escape might be on. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy to go with that. I. I mean, that was. I was really, really pleased to see that when I saw it. Well, and Tom, worst moment of the season. Uh, the Everton, Everton equaliser. Really? Oh, it was horrible for me. Uh, it was. It was horrible. I think like it was just a crushing disappointment, and and it was that feeling of like we can't do any more. Mm. Like, what can we do? That it was because also it was it was almost like quite preventable as well. It wasn't like someone plucked the ball out of the air and hit a thirty yard volley. There was the foul that wasn't, and then there was a bad clearance, and then there was Hoiberg getting his feet mixed up. Which and it was then, so you know, late, and it was so late, and it was a deflection. 
for okay. me that was a killer moment I mean what's quite interesting about that is I wasn't watching the game I was um, at my brother-in-law's wedding and so I just kind of saw the text updates coming in and I, you know I expected us to win and then I saw it was a draw but ultimately a draw away at Everton wasn't the end of the world because we knew if we get a point there um, we, we always knew that we had to beat Swansea so it didn't really change anything yeah I'd agree but I think it was the it was, it was, it was just psychological. Just the it was the gutting, in, like yeah, so heart wrenching moment of like, oh. What What about the capitulation against Chelsea though? In those eight minutes, as a worst moment of the season, could that? I mean, wasn't that worse than the Everton one? I'd have been surprised, but I'd have been surprised if we were going to get anything out of Chelsea, mm. particularly yeah, once they I brought mean, Giroud on. Chelsea was very hard. I went to the game, and you know, after we'd scored the second goal, I was. I was believing. I was. I was very. I was getting happy, and I was like, "We can do. This. We can win this game. And if we can win this game, then we can stay up. Yeah, that's that's the way it goes, right? We start beating these good teams, yeah. we can stay up, and then and then they just like sucker punched us three times and destroyed us in ten minutes. It was pretty awful. But that that's not what I'm going to go for either. I'm going to go for that first half against West Ham. Oh yeah, it's good. Which was, was horrific. I, was there. I mean, that has your dad watched a game of football since, Tom? Yeah, we've watched. I mean, he's watched that. I mean, I, we, I don't think we could have got him to another game after that this season. Um, yeah, I mean, you know what? You're actually right. I, I think that the Everton game was, and I think the Everton. You know what? Actually, I'm going to rescind my vote because the next category is what the Everton game was would be my entry for. But I think you're absolutely right. I think the the complete and utter falling to pieces against uh, West Ham, the bizarre, like, you know, West Ham was so there for the taking. Yeah. And to do what we did, I think you're absolutely right, was was so inexcusable. So for me, uh, you know, I changed my vote and I completely go with that. Okay, which um, means that I'm going to lose this one, uh, which was... Uh, Home four-one defeat to Claude Puel's Leicester City. I wasn't there, um, but that hurt. That would have been a, that would have been another game where you could have gone bye-bye. Yeah, I mean the Palace game really, really hurt as well. The Palace game at home. I mean, a lot of them hurt. Really, let's yeah. let's be honest. And that's the funny thing. A lot of them felt like getting punched in the stomach mm. this year. Like uh, a lot of like sucker punches. Like really, apart from Leicester and maybe Liverpool, no one really gave us a good tonking, mm. did they? Like it was. What about more Tottenham Hotspur? On Spurs Boxing did, Day. yeah. But even then, we scored twice. It was more like, it was just more like the sucker punches that hit us. They hit, hit us all stomach, season. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, West Ham United at the London Stadium that first half uh, wins the worst moment of the season most bleedingly obvious typical saints thing to do of the season which is a classic award that we have um tom i think we already know what your nomination is going to be yeah that that equalizer it was like i would almost have been amazed if it hadn't if they hadn't equalized it just seemed to be a very saints thing to do it was horrible james what's your nomination for this one so is this an 
a single moment or is it just something that we do quite frequently? It's the most bleedingly obvious typical Saints thing to do of the season. So it could be something that we do very, very, very frequently because that would be bleedingly obvious typical Saints thing to do. Uh, for me, it's got to be it's the most frustrating thing every time I go and watch them is that we win the ball off the, off the opposition and we don't immediately attack. So just just basically being slow out of the blocks. So like negative yeah. tactics almost. Yeah, and like not like surely the most bleedingly obvious thing to do when you win the ball is to uh, to go forward and attack. And and in many games we not, just didn't do that. Not if Pellegrino is your manager, as we learned in Romeo. Consolidate from the, the back. Yeah, the daily. Okay. Um, I I think I can beat both of you two with this, and um, it's not a specific moment, but it sounds very specific. Cedric at the back post. Oh yeah, that happened a few times that one. Didn't yeah, it? I mean that was definitely consistent throughout. I mean the thing with the corners and the, the or, crosses or, or, and all or you the headed goals. Conceding from Saints corners, but, but be no, because because conceding from Saints corners wasn't true when Virgil Van Dijk was playing for us and being angry. We mm. he he would not let that happen. But yeah, certainly Cedric at the back post. Yeah, I mean I, I'm trying to think of games uh, where Cedric was left. I mean, the one that always springs to mind was Glenn Murray. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I feel sorry for Cedric because he, should, he shouldn't be left like that. He shouldn't be no. isolated. It's not his fault. Um, and Yeah, and he contributes so much going forward as well. Yeah. But it's a typical Saints thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. a bleedingly obvious but this, typical this Saints se- thing. But it was never like that with Fonte no. and Van Dyke. It's just this season our centre-backs can't defend crosses. Um, I... I'm kind of thinking, you know, while Cedric at the back post, I was pretty confident that I was going to win. I, I quite like your suggestion, Tom, because the Everton equaliser has so many things that went wrong for Saints all in one kind of yeah. moment. It's like a microcosm. Yeah, so like bad refereeing decisions, giving away a really crucial goal very, very late in the game, um, an awful deflection, multiple opportunities to get the ball out of danger and, you know, and, and totally avoid the situation happening. I mean, there's about five or six different things that happen in that one moment, which you could say are kind of bleedingly obvious and typical Saints um, that, that are all captured in that. Yeah, for me, it encapsulated a season. If you look at like, where it had all gone wrong for us, some things in our control, some things out of our control. Uh, Everton was it. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know kind of how we've ended up on this kind of like slightly dour point at the end of our Saints FC podcast awards. Um, let's just go back and, and tell you what our award winners are. So Academy or slash Young Player of the Season has gone to Yab Bednarek. Player of the Season, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. Goal of the Season, Sofiane Buffel. Hero of the Season, Mark Hughes. Villain of the Season, the Premier League officials. Most improved player, Jan Bednarek. Chant of the Season, we are staying up. Player, manager, most likely to leave, Buffel. Um, best moment of the season the Bournemouth celebrations worst moment of the season West Ham United at London Stadium and the most blatantly obvious typical Saints thing to do this season was that Everton equaliser which means Sofia and Buffel um, has won two awards as has Jan Bednarek so congratulations to them multiple Saints FC podcast award winners um, Tom and James I mean wh- how, how do you want to finish this season in podcasting terms just, just tell us what are your final thoughts Let's just do a hell of a lot better next season. I mean, there's, there's, we've, we've left ourselves with a world of areas which where we can improve from 
pretty much every single area of the football club. And let so let's go out and let's go out and do that and actually you know improve because because that's what we need to do. Yeah, I don't think it's complicated. I think let's get Hughes locked down. Let's get rid of the bad eggs. Let's bring in the players that are blindingly obvious that we need to bring in. Let's get that team spirit back. And I, you know, I think we'll be um, this time next year. We'll all be much more uh, positive. Yeah, I mean, let's hope that next season we might have an award. Yeah, the Premier League's most improved team of the season. That'd be great if that would be Southampton Football Club. Um, anyway, Saints FC podcast fans, thank you for sticking us, sticking with us throughout this season. We hope to be back next season with more player interviews, um, with more kind of moments on the sofa like this, with Tom and with James and various other guests that we can rope in from far and distant lands. More wins to discuss. Oh, Plenty more wins more to discuss. That would be great. Loads more goals. Um, who knows what the next season has, um, you know, uh, lined up for us. Um, who knows? I mean, maybe this is going to be a fantastic summer with a World Cup win. Um, we've got a Brit leading the Giro d'Italia. Um, you know, there's uh, we've got Wimbledon. We've got other things that happen like cricket in the summer. So, you know, there's lots of things to get excited about. We will be back. Um say so, i mean yeah i mean i don't know i might we might i might poke my nose into the world cup at some point i'll see how much i'm missing podcasting um but you know thank you very much for for listening everyone and um you know we'll ready for some saints chat in sometime in august yeah we'll see you yep. for a pre-season preview yeah cheerio goodbye <laughs>